It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. I'm excited to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Kendra Lee. Kendra is a top IT seller, a prospect attraction expert, and author of some popular books, including The Sales Magnet and Selling Against the Goal, as well as president of her own company, the KLA Group. Kendra Lee, welcome to Accelerate. Well, thank you for having me today, Andy. Well, my pleasure. So take a minute, introduce yourself, maybe tell us how you got your start in sales. Oh, my story is such a fun one. Oh, good. Got started in sales. Um, I actually started my career in accounting. And I always say I started my sales career in accounting. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I enjoyed accounting, but I always felt like there was something more. And I'm sure many salespeople would say the exact same thing. <laughs> so I, when I moved into sales was when IBM was doing an initiative they called Back to the Field, which said basically they had too many people in their headquarters and overhead positions, and they were going to turn them into salespeople. And if you weren't successful, you were out. <laughs> it's just a, what an easy way to fire people. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly right. Because when I stepped forward and I said, you know, that sounds kind of fun. My manager looked at me and he said, there's no coming back if you're not <laughs> successful. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, it's not like they gave you a choice, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, they gave me a choice if I wanted to go into sales, and I, I raised my hand. But then they didn't give me a choice to come back if I didn't like it. Right, right. <laughs> and then they gave me just the dregs of the dregs of territory. I'm um, sure. <laughs> yeah. Because the whole program was to was to get you to leave, not to be successful at sales. Right. They were trying to reduce their headcount. Right. Gosh darn you, Kendra Lee, you refused to leave. I refused to leave. I was successful. <laughs> so, yeah, they gave me a territory that had not generated more than $300,000 in the previous three years and handed me a $1 million quota for one year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Needless to say, I did make my quota on the last days of the year. And then, interestingly, the next year, I went on to rank in the top 2% of all salespeople in IBM and continued to do that. So, go figure. I liked selling. Yeah, they should have done that set you free program, whatever it was. They should have done that earlier. They'd they should have done it, yeah. They'd, they'd be surprising how many good people they'd find in their, their company that uh, were better salespeople than the salespeople they had hired. You know, and it was funny because I had tried to go into sales with them before that, um, but we had to take an engineering test before they'd let us in. Right. And, you know, I really wasn't very good at engineering. <laughs> you were an accountant, right. <laughs> exactly. So I think I attribute my success to the fact that I had the business degree. I can have business conversations with people about why they should make the decisions that they were. So how did you get from there to starting your own company? 
Oh, that's even more fun. So I'm doing very well at IBM. And they said, you know, you're doing so well, you should go into management. (laughs) And they had me start literally from the ground up a team that was supporting all the smallest clients within the company. So the ones that they really couldn't afford or didn't want to feel, you didn't want to put a salesperson over, a direct salesperson. Right, right. So I actually started a whole client support team, built the team, built the processes, built the training, and we did it all with contractors to support the low-end accounts that that IBM wasn't sure what to do with. Well, I mean... When you say contractors, you mean actually people go out and touch these clients, or were you like an inside sales account management function? We became an inside sales account management function, all at the time staffed with contract employees, not full-time employees, which was new. Yeah, for IBM, very new, right? Yeah, at the time that I did it, it was brand new. Um, So I did that. We were very successful, put all the processes in place, put everything together, and I just felt, you know, I really wanted to sell. <laughs> I missed the selling aspect. So I went to them and I said, you know, I'd, I'd really like to get back into direct selling. And they said, oh, Kendra, you're doing really well where you are. We've got big plans for you. You need to stay where you are. <laughs> it's like, no, you know, I really, I really do want to sell. I don't really want to do this management thing. And they said, no, 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 we need you where you are. This is a big program. We're going to take it across the country, and you're going to be a critical cog in the wheel. I said, no, you know, I put everything together. I think you can do it on your own. You don't need me. You've got all the, you've got everything. Um, And we disagreed. So I left (laughs) to go somewhere that I could sell. (laughs) So what'd you go go sell at that point then? Then I went to a company that has since been folded in. Gosh, I don't even know which company they're with now, but a database company called Sybase. Sure. Yeah. Uh, And I actually chose them very intentionally. You know, when you sell for a big company like IBM, where you're well-known, and at the time the phrase was, nobody's ever been fired for buying IBM. Yes. Fear, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. The FUD factor. Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Yes. Exactly. So I wasn't, I didn't have a lot of confidence in my sales ability, even though I had made Golden Circle, you know, which is top one to 2% of sales reps worldwide. I just felt like it was the IBM name. Mm-hmm. And, and I wondered how good I really was. So I chose Sybase because they were number two to Oracle. And I went in with the goal that I wanted to see, was I really as good as it seemed at sales? And were you? I was. And my other goal when I went in is my territory had all been new business. And it was very small with an average sale of $15,000. So going into Sybase, I said, I want to do a million-dollar deal. I want to see, am I as good as I think I am, and can I sell something besides pots and pans? Um, And I gave myself two years to do it, and then I said, I'm going to go start my own company. Don't know what the company will be, but two years, I'm going to do that. And within six months 
I was the top sales rep at Sybase and I'd done my million dollar deal. <laughs> so that's when I said, oh, I guess now I have to go do what I thought I was going to go do and start a company. And, so that's my story. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, that's a great story. So what was, everybody starts a company, I mean, were you particular problem you were trying to solve that you thought you were going to solve with the company that, you know, your, your niche that you were filling, what was that? You know, it was really interesting because I wasn't sure what the company would be. And when I achieved my goal, I sat back and said, okay, I'd given myself two years to do it. I've done it inside of six months. I said I was going to leave when I accomplished it. Am I going to hang out? Or the next 18 months, because I said that's what I would do. Or am I going to go start a company? And if I am, what is it? So I decided, because I'm a goal-oriented person, that since I'd made, you know, I'd set the goal and achieved it, it was time to move on. I stepped back to see what it was that had made me successful in sales to see if I could determine what should the business be. And when I stepped back, I realized that throughout my whole sales career, I had had managers who came to me and asked me to train my peers in how I was so successful at hunting and lead generation. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I said, and, and actually it's what made the, the client support team that I grew so successful. And then it's what got me to the top spot at Sybase so quickly. Um, so I stepped back and looked at it and I said, well, there's something because apparently not every salesperson can do this. And most sales training doesn't teach you that. I went through extensive sales training at both IBM and then at Sybase but they never taught you how to prospect. So, Everything. okay. All right. So you're talking about training people to do what you could do. So what, what was, you know, uniquely your skill set or point of view about sales that, that you were training? I was training them how to uncover leads. And at, when I started, it was focused around how can you go generate leads without having to just cold call people? You know, how do you start with a list? How do you figure out who the list should be? And then how are you going to uncover those people who really are interested without having to cold call down your list? I mean, the, one of my very first sales jobs while I was in training was to call people to invite them to a seminar. Mm -hmm. You know, I was handed a list of 300 people. Call them. Well, you know, what a waste of your time to call 300 people if you don't know if they have a need. So I was, what was unique about what I was doing is that I was figuring out who were the people that were interested that I should spend my time with. And that's what I started training people in when I was still at IBM and Sybase. What's a, okay, that's a very critical skill. So what, how are you doing that? How are you finding out, you know, you, if you're presented with a, a list, let's say a plain list of, of companies and names, how are you finding out 
the right people? Was, well, how are you training people? Or what were you training people to do, let's say? What I did was the precursor of what we all do in marketing automation now mm-hmm. and, and the lead gen strategies that we see today. I started with the list and then did lead generation activities that would get people to respond. So I knew which were the ones that were most interested. So I might run an event for, there was a whole year where I ran quite a lot of events. I had nine different industries in my territory. So I would choose different, a different industry to focus on. I would align with some other people that were interested in that same industry and we would put together an event that looked like it would appeal to people and then use that to identify who was interested. Um, I did letters because this is before email dating myself. You can call call them emails. (laughs) But I sent letters to people and said, Um, you know, I'm going to be in your area. I serve Colorado. So I was going to a remote area. I'd say, I'm going to be there. Um, If we should meet, tear off this bottom piece of paper and either fax it back or call me or mail it back. And And people would respond. So I used all the things that were precursors to what we can do now so simply through the marketing automation. And that's what I taught people to do as well interesting it's it's a question for you so in today's environment and with what companies you work with is there still a role for the physical event i mean and i say this as an example of i had one client worked with a few years ago that you know very religious about holding physical seminars and hold them, you know, around the country at various places, but could do, you know, half dozen to ten a year. And even in the this, you know, era of webinars and so on, they actually converted at a much higher rate. They do convert at a much higher rate because if somebody is willing to get in their car and drive to you, or depending on the event you're doing, because you and I speak at different events, if they're willing to get on a plane to go somewhere, they've got a they've got a qualified interest because it takes so much more time for them to do that. Yeah, um, I, think, I think companies overlook that the the value of the physical these days. I mean, because again, it's a webinars. It takes work to put on, but it's it's much simpler event to manage and to put on. And and uh, even though the follow up and the confirmation and so on is that process should be identical, whether it's a webinar or a physical seminar. But um, yeah, I think that physical. It's especially small mid-sized businesses, and I know you work a lot with those. It's a great tool. It is what the reason I think that people don't consider face-to-face events as much anymore is that they're chasing after a number of attendees. You know, and we do work a lot with small and mid-sized businesses. So we've got some businesses where they'll run a lunch and learn and they're going to put it in their conference room and at the most their conference room will hold 10 people. As a and as an IBM sales rep, I ran the events and I bought the donuts. I mm-hmm. licked envelopes to send out the invitations. You know, I reserved a conference room to have it in. So here I was 
with no other resources in that giant company because my territory didn't get a lot of respect. Um, so I did everything the same as a small business owner would. And I think that people are so busy chasing after, well, I've got to get, you know, 30 people to my on-site event if you're a small business. If you're a bigger business, you might say, we've got to have 200 there. And really, you just want the right people there. And sometimes if you get six in your conference room or 20, you know, at your, in your seminar room, training room, those could be the best qualified people and you don't need to go for that number. Yeah, I mean, the number the number is how much you need to you know, earn return on the event <laughs> and it, it could be one, right? Tell me what size yeah. of the order that you give. Yeah, absolutely. You're yeah, doing a lot to learn in your own conference room. All you're paying for is lunch. Yeah, pizza. <laughs> exactly. Pizza. So, so in in your book, Sales Magnet, you talk about offering a, f- a different approach to prospecting that, as I read, is more about um, making yourself an authority in your markets. That's, yes, and that's what we're talking about when you uh, have an event or you offer you know, to go meet with someone. You become the authority that people look up to and want to work with. Um, and since I've written the book, we've expanded on that to talk about creating recognition ROI. Right. Where you're getting a return on your recognition investment. All right. Well, let's, let's come back to that because first, let's talk about your. You talk about your trifecta of attraction, and yes. we'll talk about that at the base, and we'll come back to your recognition ROI. I think that's a great term. So, tell people sort of what this trifecta of attraction is. That's you know, sort of your platform for your prospecting. Yes. The attraction trifecta are three different ways or groups of ways that you can gain access to new prospects. The first is personal attraction, where it feels very one-to-one, and you're using things like email and your phone and letters. The second is digital attraction, which is where you're using the Internet and strategies related to it, like articles and blogging, posting on LinkedIn, social media, social networking. And then the third is collaborative attraction strategies. And those are the strategies where usually they're pretty resource intensive. And when you collaborate, you can have a much bigger impact. Things like the online events, the local event, PR. Mm -hmm. Okay, so sort of one plus one equals three type thing. So, 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 you know, unpacking those three things, we've got the personal attraction strategies. You know, on the surface, I mean, email, letters, networking. I mean, everybody sort of talks about that. But, but what what do you advocate that's a little bit different and how they apply these to, as I said, become compelling to have people want to listen to your message? There's several things that you do. At first, it starts with finding your focus on a specific niche, especially in sales. You know, you see companies and 
who in their marketing department will say, we're focused on healthcare, you know, and they've chosen an industry niche or manufacturing or distribution. When you're a salesperson, you have, you have to be smart about how you spend your time. And so you want to choose what are the niches you're going to go after. And I learned that very early on when I was handed nine different industries to support. Yeah, that's too many for one person. It's too many, and and you can't have a common message that's going to appeal to anybody. I mean, I had bowling alleys and law firms. I'm sorry. (laughs) Wait, so IBM was selling to bowling alleys? Yes, I sold three bowling alleys (laughs) in one year. (laughs) Wow, that's, that's a great niche. Of course, it's a dying niche. There aren't many bowling alleys left, but yeah. Hey, you you know, you make hay where you're given the barn, right? <laughs> well, I think the thing with with finding the niche, especially if you're trying to identify, if you're trying to build an authority, is that the key is that that sort of the size of your authority is like inverse proportion to the size of your niche, right? I mean, you want to be much more focused because the more focused you are, yes. the bigger in proportion your authority becomes through that focus and through your knowledge of what they need. That's exactly right. And as a salesperson, you can be an authority. You And you don't have to be the authority on your product from a technical perspective as much as from how does your product or solution help that particular niche. And you're looking at it from that business perspective. You don't have to say these 10 features are the ones you absolutely have to have. Instead, you're talking about these are the types of results we can help you accomplish. Right. And then you're talking about how your niche did it. That's what makes you the authority. And your authority comes from, in today's day, in... Publishing, so you can write blog posts and publish them on LinkedIn. Um, Being active in social media and engaging with other companies that are in your niche so that they hear and they see what you're doing. So there are things that as a salesperson you absolutely can do and don't have to wait for your company to do. Well, and when it comes to that sort of at the content level, it as a sales rep, and we've talked about those other guests, is part of the value of the internet is you don't have to create all this content that's out there. You can find articles and other information that's relevant to your prospects and share it with them. It has, can, has, has the same impact in many respects. Well, it can, but I, I think that to be a real authority, you don't just want to serve up other people's content. I think that you want to have some of your own. Uh, and that's not to say that you have to blog once a week, uh, maybe not even once a month, but you have to share your own opinions, your own observations, and you can also serve up other people's content. And as a rep, that's really easy to do because you can just write something in response of something that you've read. Well, there, that's true. But I mean, it, I've, I found my experience is it's, it's extremely difficult to get the individual rep to create blog posts, for instance, original blog posts. It is. Um, 
However, I would imagine the people that are listening to your podcast, Andy, are those who want to excel. And so some of the things that we're talking about. Nothing but the best and the brightest listening to the show. Right. And so if you're the best and the brightest, you're looking to say, how can I distinguish myself from my peers? How can I outsell my competition? And sometimes those things aren't the easiest things to do. Well, usually they aren't. That's what the difference is. Right. But I think some of that authority, though, too, which to your point earlier, which I thought was a great point, is sometimes it's just, it could be a tweet, an original tweet about something. It could be an original comment on a LinkedIn discussion group or a comment on a Facebook post that is original that, you know, I've seen several people uh, just in the last year build up their authority in in the space you and I are in, a sort of, you know, sales thought leaders, really social driven uh, with very little original content, but a lot of original thought in just smaller bites. Absolutely. It's the original thought being shared out with their target market where their niche can see it. Yes. It does not have to be an entire 600 word blog post (laughs) and no few sales reps have time for that either. (laughs) Yeah. If, if they had time for that, we'd, we'd want to have a discussion about (laughs) unless their pipeline is impeccable. Mm Um, so now you, you talked about collaboration. I just want to delve into that for a second. So, so how do you collaborate? I mean, what's that really look like? I mean, is it you know obviously a joint webinar? But what other examples are there that that make sense that sales reps could could really get involved with? Social media gives you a lot of opportunity today to collaborate in ways that we never used to, and I think it's actually underutilized for that purpose. You know, we see people go to LinkedIn to do their prospecting, but we're not using LinkedIn or Twitter necessarily to go find others that we could collaborate with. Um, You definitely can collaborate on events like you mentioned. You can collaborate on content development. Mm -hmm. You can collaborate on sales opportunities. You know, one client that we're coaching is a large, big data company outside our normal small, medium business. And they serve the Fortune 500 enterprises. Well, it's really hard to gain access to a CIO of a Fortune 500 enterprise unless you've got an in. And they collaborate with other reps in companies that they know are also selling to those same Fortune 500 CIOs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and to wrap it around to my comment on social media, you may not know those people. And you may not know people who do know those people. But you can certainly access them through social media and start engaging with them and strike up the conversation so you can collaborate. Right. So that's an example. And then you can just having the conversations through social media and suggesting that you collaborate and what could you collaborate on and together brainstorm. You know, we see people who collaborate on books. Mm-hmm. You know that. Right. You know, so there are all sorts of things that, if you're thinking outside the box and we're using today's tools that we can collaborate on. Yeah. And that's really, to your point, a 
power of social media is, and LinkedIn in particular, let's say, is you can find uh, common connections to, let's say, prospects. And it could be someone that said it's not necessarily you ask for an introduction, but as you collaborate on something. Yes. Yes. Is think about a different different way to approach it because, quite frankly, you know, people actually we see I see less of it personally. Is where people say I get a LinkedIn in mail or something saying, you know, hey, I was you know introduced by thus and such or I see your connection with you know Joe Joe Blow is could you provide me an introduction type thing and I think people sort of see that yeah those don't have a lot of value, but that same person it could be. Don't ask for an introduction. Say, is there something we could work on together that benefit both of us? And, you know, I, I'd be curious in your thought here. We'll turn it around and I'll ask you. I don't see as much collaboration on actual work with a client as we used to. Do you? That's an interesting thought um, or question. I, I, hmm. You know, I don't, don't know if I know the answer to that. I mean, I, I, uh, I like the approach, and I've I've used it in the past, and look for opportunities to do that because I think that it's it's sort of this part of give to get type thing is is you know give all you have and you'll get all you need type is yeah you know, work with other people that you can give to that you're gonna make a difference to them and maybe together you can make a difference for somebody a third person altogether. Yes, the go giver approach. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Go giver. Love Bob Berg's book. So, uh, this is moving into the segment of the show where I've got some standard questions I ask all my guests. And uh, the first one's a hypothetical scenario. I pose you've just been hired as a, you, Kendra, have just been hired as a sales leader at a company whose sales have uh, petered out a little bit, stalled a little bit. They're a little stuck in the mud. And and CEO and the board are anxious for you to come in and start turning things around. So, you know, obviously Rome wasn't built in a day, but what two things could you do your first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? The first one is shadowing the sales team that we already have to assess what's working, what's not working, to start getting a sense mm-hmm. of what's going on. The second, because I'm an accountant by nature, is to examine the numbers and see what secrets they might be holding that could direct me in where to to um, place my attention for the second week. Okay, well, that's fair. So uh, now some more rapid-fire questions. You can give one word to answers or elaborate if you wish. So the first one is when you, Kendra Lee, are selling your services, what's your most powerful sales attribute? That's a good one. Relationship building. Okay. Who's your sales role model? Um, yeah, I'm, I can picture Nick Ziegler. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing a picture of him and I couldn't remember his name. Zig Ziegler. So what's one book that you'd recommend every salesperson should read? didn't prepare me oh i never prepare anybody this is what makes it so much fun you know selling to big companies by jill conrath good book Mm-hmm. okay i've well, got a lot of books so that, i know it's hard to choose one hard to choose one i know so <laughs> all right so last one 
question is, so what, what music's on your playlist these days? Oh, so I have a wide variety. Um, my playlist that I listen to when I ski, Katy Perry and Queen. Ah, good. Okay. <laughs> that works. All right. It always surprises people. Why? What do they expect? I don't know, but they're always surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Music knows no age, so there you go. All right. Well, Kendra, great. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, Tell people how they can find out more about you. They can follow me on LinkedIn or Twitter at Kendra Lee. And Kendra Lee KLA is my Twitter handle. Or, of course, visit our website, klagroup.com. If you want to send me an email, I always check my email, and I'm happy to respond. Well, Kendra, thanks for being on the show again. And I have to admit, I mean, I, you're probably, I'm probably not the first one to say this, but every time I say your name, I, I picture Sandra Lee. <laughs> well, thank you. No, I, Kendra Lee. And I know, I, I know. It's just like Sandra. <laughs> Uh, too much into, into old pop culture, I guess. So anyway, well, thanks again. And remember, friends, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your success. And easy way to do that is to make this podcast accelerate a part of your daily routine, whether you listen in your commute, in the gym, or as part of your make it part of your morning sales meeting. That way, you won't miss any of my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Kendra Lee, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.